Okay, I want to talk today about a seasonal topic. I want to talk about Moshe Rabbeinu's yard site. The Mechaber in Simen Tafkov Pei in the Simen of Atainis Tzadikim brings a whole list, we've touched on this list before, of different um, additional Tanesim <coughs> that a person could or should fast. Um, he starts with, These are days that Tzaras happened to our forefathers. And it's worthy for someone to fast on them. Um, then he continues, he brings a list, Be'achad Benisa, and etc. And then he gets to the end of the Sif, and the end of Sif Beis, he says, B'shiva ba'adr On the seventh day of Adar, Meish Rabbeinu was Nifter. And because of that, it's a fast day for people to have on the seventh day of Adar. Now, um, I want to talk about this Misas Meish Rabbeinu. So but let's just start from the, the more bacantical basic details of it, and then we'll move on to some of the more obscure and more interesting details about the yard side of Meish Rabbeinu. So, Kaidim Kol, the Gemara in Kedushin, on the Flamet Chesam and Aleph, uh, the Gemara brings down as follows. The Gemara says, B'shiva ba'adar meis Meisha, B'shiva ba'adar noilad. On the seventh day of Adar, Meish Rabbeinu was nifter, and on the seventh day of Adar, Meish Rabbeinu was born. Then the Gemara continues and brings Psukim to explain to us how we know this. It says, B'shiva ba'adar meis shenemar v'yamas shal Meisha eved Hashem, eksiv v'yivko beis yisoros Meisha v'arvis moyev, and the Gemara continues, and the Gemara makes a cheshbon based on the Psukim, that when Klaus one and Tertz Yisrael, and, and the amount of time that the Avelis period and of, of Moshe Rabbeinu was, to extrapolate for us that the day that Moshe Rabbeinu must have been Iftar on was Zayin Ba'adr. Then the Gemara continues on, and the Gemara says, how do we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was born on Zayin Adar? The Gemara brings Psukim for that. And here's the punchline. Hashem sits in his Mamala, the days of a tzaddik, so Moshe Rabbeinu had a complete life, a life that, that spanned from Zion Adar to Zion Adar, 120 years. Now, the Gemara elsewhere analyzes some more interesting details about the story of Moshe Rabbeinu's death, and, and based on that is how many different minhagim of the Yom Zion Adar come to be. Now, I'll explain what I mean. The, <laughs> the Gemara in Saita in the end of the first parak, the Gemara elaborates on the Kfur of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Pasuk says that Hashem um, buried Moshe Rabbeinu um, Hashem buried Moshe Rabbeinu and the Torah tells us where Hashem buried Moshe Rabbeinu but in um, Afalpikein the Pasuk continues and it says Nobody knew where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried. Now HaKadosh Baruch wanted it so that no one should know where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried and HaKadosh Baruch Hu buried Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, the Gemara tells a story over here. The We know that at, at some point, um, an enemy government sent a, a troop of soldiers to try to look for Moshe Rabbeinu's kever. So they went to Beis Pa'ar, and they said, Show us where Moshe Rabbeinu is buried. So if they stood on the top of the peak, on top of the mountain, to try to spot Moshe Rabbeinu's kever, it appeared to them like the kever was down below. They went to the bottom to look for the kever, it appeared to them the kever was up above. So they split up the troop. And they said, uh, let's split up into two groups. So then what happened, says the Gemara, those who were standing on the top, it appeared to them like Moshe Rabbeinu was buried on the bottom. And those who were standing on the bottom, it appeared to them that Moshe Rabbeinu was buried on the top. Nobody knows where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried. Um, so, so the Gemara continues, and the Gemara says, we learn from here, 
um, how big Gemilas Chesed is. Shekaviyachal Hakadosh Baruch Hu himself was Oisik in Gemilas Chesed to bury Moshe Rabbeinu, and uh, and and put him in this in this Ma'ara that was unfindable. So now, so we have two Nakudas so far that we established from the Gemara. We know first of all when Moshe Rabbeinu's Yaretzid is. We know that it's on Zayin Adar. We know three Nakudas, I guess, and we know who the Chaver Kadisha was that buried Moshe Rabbeinu. We know the Chaver Kadisha is Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And we also know that Moshe Rabbeinu is an unfindable grave. It's a grave that nobody's able to find. We don't know where it is. Now, there's another fourth in the Santa Nakuda about the day that Moshe Rabbeinu died. And that is as follows. The, the, it's a unique feature. The last eight psukim of the Torah and the end of the Devarim are the story of Moshe Rabbeinu's death and the burial of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, that, that Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who came down from Harsinai with, this, with the Torah and wrote the Torah. So, it's uh, in Tesant and that Moshe Rabbeinu is writing down the details of his own death before they take place. Because the Pasuk, the last day of Sakhim of the Torah, it ends off, Vayamas Moshe and Hashem, then it says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu buried him, then it says, Kla Yisrael was Baicha, and Mesabal on him. So Moshe Rabbeinu is, so to speak, charting the own story of his death. In the Stam, in, in the Chesidish, sometimes you'll see there's, there's Svarim that chart out the last, you know, year, months, weeks of a Gracie Rebbe's, you know, Histalkus, because during the Zman of Estalkus is a great uh, you know, time of sharing wisdom, of passing on the, the torch to the next generation. Marshall, I think the one, I have one, Seder Shana Achreina, from the Minchas Elazar's life. It was published in Munkach still before the war, a description of the Minchas Elazar's, you know, Seif uh, Yamav. So, Kat Lahavdal, in the Torah Alein, Moshe Rabbeinu's Seif Yamav is described in these last eight psukim. So the Gemara Menachas, on the Flamid of brings down a Machlekes, what the status of these eight psukim, these last eight psukim in the Torah that are that are describing Moshe Rabbeinu's death is. So, Amar of Gidol Amar Rav, Shmoyin psukim shebetayru yachad kares and beisaknesses, the like Rab Shimon, because here here's the machlekes. The Tanya we learned it says in the Torah of Yamos Sham Moshe Eved Hashem. So Rab Shimon said, Efsher Moshe Chai, could it be that Moshe is alive because of Yamos Sham Moshe? How could Moshe Rabbeinu be alive and well and be writing in the Sefer Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu is deceased? He's dying. El Adkan Kasev Moshe. Until these eight psukim is the psukim that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote himself, Mikan ve'elach, Kasev Yeshua ben Nun. The last eight psukim of the Torah, the author is not Moshe Rabbeinu, it's Yeshua ben Nun. That's Rabbi Yehuda Shita. Ba'amil over Rav Nechemya. Amil over Rav Shemin. Efshir Sefer Torah, Chasar Yisachas, V'ksev l'kuach ha'sefer ha'terah ze, V'samtem ha'isai, Ela adkan ha'kadosh baruch hu, O'ymer, U'moshe Kaisev. Until here ha'kadosh baruch hu was dictating, and Moshe Rabbeinu was writing Hashem's word. Um, Mikan ve'elach from these eight psukim and on, Hakadosh Baruch Hu Omer, Hakadosh Baruch Hu was dictating Umoshe Kaiseb Bedema. Moshe was cry was writing it Bedema, which Pashtus means in tears. So, so we have a machlekes in the Gemara and Menachas and the Flamid. If these last eight psukim of the Torah that describe the death of Moshe Rabbeinu are written by Moshe Rabbeinu himself or written by Yeshua, Nastam into Santa Nakuda. The Gemara over here brings a machlekes. Who wrote those last eight psukim? In the in the Zayir Hakadosh, in Parshas Devarim, in the end of Sefer Devarim, I'm sorry. In the Zayir Hakadosh, the Zayir says that Moshe Rabbeinu was nifter on this day, leaving those eight psukim incomplete because one can't write b'chayeh chiyusay about his death. And then Hakadosh Baruch was mechayeh mesim, brought Moshe Rabbeinu back to life to transcribe into the end of the Torah and these eight psukim the story of his death. And then Moshe Rabbeinu was, was nifter again. And he says, "Lakayim Hashemar, Torah Hashem Temima Meshivas Nafesh." The Torah of Hashem is complete because Meshivas Nafesh, because Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave Tchias Amesim to Moshe Rabbeinu. 
that's why he was able to 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 be able to write the last the last eight words, eight letters, the eight psukim of the Torah on his own, which is a, a fascinating idea. It's not what what this Gemara holds, but it is what the Zayar says. Now, so this is another component, and this is actually the component that leads to a lot of uh, tumult about Marshav and Sefer Torah, the Din and Dine Safras, etc. But we'll leave it at that. That's the Gemaras that describe the, the theory of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, so let's talk about a few uh, Nekudis outcroppings that, that come from these unique features of Moshe Rabbeinu's Misa. Now, for starters, something that's unique about Moshe Rabbeinu's Kura is that it's unknown. We don't know where Moshe Rabbeinu is buried, so we're missing details. We don't have a kever to go to Moshe Rabbeinu and to daven by Moshe Rabbeinu's kever. Moshe Rabbeinu Hashem hit him away so that Klai shouldn't be able to daven there and, 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 and uh, force results that Hashem doesn't want. Now, there's an interesting uh, shaila in, in the sugi of yard sites that comes up that's related to this, and I'll explain. The Shulchan Aruch in, uh, in um, the Shulchan Aruch and Simen Tafkof Samaches brings as follows. The minig is, and this is an Ashkenazi minig, that on the yom of a person's uh, father's father or mother's yard site, he's supposed to fast. The person's supposed to fast on the day of the yard site of the father. Now, what happens if a person is unaware exactly what the death, the date of the death of the father is? Now, there's many shilas that could come up with this, but the Magen brings down from Marshal that says as follows: If a person doesn't know when the yard site of a parent is and he wants to be kaveh a yard site, so the Marshal says a person could choose any day that he wants, and from now on that will be the yard site day with all the dinim of Yartzeit attached to that day. But says the Marshal, um, There's a din that a davashe b'chayva, a carbon that you're obligated to bring, you can't bring from Eisr Shani, let's say. You can't bring from something that's hektish already. So says the Marshal, davashe b'chayva, tainus of a Yartzeit, which is a chayva, a person is obligated to fast on the Yartzeit of his father, so one has to be careful not to select a day that he's already b'chayva to fast anyway. You have to select a clean day. That's what the Marshal says, and, and other are, others argue, and there's many, you know, machlikis in the Paiskim about this, this Indian. Now, where did the Shaila become very relevant on a large scale? Was Leilenu uh, after the Holocaust, when many, many people did not know exactly what day, even what month, or even what year uh, a parent or a close relative was killed during the Holocaust. And the Shaila rose, when to be Kaveh a yard site? When do you, how, how and when are you Kaveh a yard site when you have no way of knowing? Now, interestingly enough, a lot of the Sugis of Agunis became very relevant to the Shaila because the, uh, one of the primary deciding factors in the Sugi of Agunis is when the Cheskas Chai goes away. When is a person no longer assumed to be alive? And when the Cheskas Chai is bottled, then you could assume the person to be dead. So many of the Pais can behandle the Chazak of Cheskas Chai and depending on different points of the war, when do we assume, like, what was the efficiency rate, you know, uh, what, was the, what was the efficiency rate of the Nazis at that point of the war, and therefore to know, you know, to what end, to, to how much of a cheskes chai they would be. Now, so the Minchas Yitzchak in, in Chelek Aleph, in Tshuva Pei Gimel, he has a Tshuva about this, where someone asks him that, I'm not aware of when the yard site for my fathers should be from the Holocaust, and I'd like to know when to be conveyed the yard site. So he starts off with rather an interesting Nakuda. And this is a bit of a digression, but I think it's worth sharing. He starts with behandling, first of all, Mechatesa, that someone who's killed during the Holocaust, someone who's killed by Kiddush Hashem as a Kaddish, should even need Kaddish, should even need the idea of the yard site. So he behandles, there's really two reasons why, why yard sites are established. And based on the chilik of these two reasons, 
it would break down if one even needs a yard site for someone who's a Kaddish, someone who was killed during the Holocaust. And I'll just, I'll share it because it's interesting. The, the Gemara in Masechtas Kalarabsi, in the end of Perak Beis, towards the end of Perak Beis, brings a fascinating, fascinating story with Rebakiva. It says Rebakiva was once traveling to a certain location and he came across a person, a being, who was schlepping wood up and down a hill, working very hard. And Rebakiva was able to understand and be able to tell by looking at this person that this is not a person who's from this world anymore. This is a person who's already went to the next world. And the fact that he's down here and slaving away in this manner and carrying the wood from here to there is clearly a chilek of his oynish. It's a chilek of his gehenna. So Rebakiva stops him and Rebakiva says, uh, you know, what's your story? What's your deal? So the guy says, yeah, I was a bad guy and this is my punishment. So Amalei Rebakiva, Shafkis bra, did you leave over a child behind? Amalei he says, uh, the, the guy says, I, I can't talk to you. If I slouch on the job, the malachim come and they give me makis. The guy was afraid to talk to Rakiva. Rakiva says, no, just tell me if you left over sons. He says, I don't know. Shavkis itzitzam al-barta. I left over a pregnant wife. I have no idea if I have a son. I don't even know what happened. So Azur Rakiva, Allah, humadinasa. He went to that area, to that location that this person said that he stams from. And uh, he told the people in the city, I'm looking for this, uh, for this fellow's almana. Amalei, they told him, Ya'akar zichrei dahu. Ya'akar zichrei. His remembrance, his zichr should be uprooted. He was a terrible guy. He used to steal and he killed people. And, and he was a terrible, terrible person. And we don't want to have anything to do with him. So Rekiva says, Afal Pekin, show me where his wife is. So he finds the wife and he finds that she had given birth to a son. So uh, he finds it. So actually, the, the, the Kalarapsi, there's two different Girsais, one from the Medrash, a little different. The Kalarapsi says, so he went to the house. So he found a woman who was still pregnant. Natura, he waited at the elder until she gave birth. He gave this child of this bad person a bris. When the kid got a little older, he put him in the Besaknashtas. He says, to make brachas in the kahal. Now, the, the, the Kalarapsi is a little bit cryptic, but there's a, a medrash that's very similar where the medrash says as follows. It says a little bit of an additional detail. Says Rakiva went, he salvaged this child from this village. He brings this child to Yeshiva. The child had the genes and I guess the zitzflesh of his father, the big Rasha, and was not shy of learning Bukhal. He's getting nowhere. So it says Rakiva davened and davened and davened that this child should be able to be successful in learning. So it says a Baskal comes out and asks Rakiva, This is what you want to waste Yeshosim on, on, on this child who comes from this you know, terrible tree, is one where you want to expand Yeshosim. Rakiva says, Yeah, this is what I want to do. So it says he davened and they, the child's head was opened until the child was able to learn and he taught him Aleph Beis, he taught him etc. Until finally he was able to take him and the child said, Baruch Hu Hashem HaMavayrach in Shul. Now from this, the Paiskim learn the idea, this is the Makar, the Paiskim bring, that a son of a deceased person says Kaddish and by saying Kaddish, by being Mavarach Hashem Barabim, by causing the Kiddush Hashem Shemayim, by saying Kaddish in the Shul, that brings a schos to his father. So says the Mechaz Yitzchak, if this is the time for Kaddish from this Kalarapsi, which is the time that a lot of the place can bring down, then the Chayr, for someone who was killed in the war, who's a Kaddish, who's in a Mechitzas in Gan Eden that we'll never be able to see, and Azayi's Gepaskint in the Ramam Taka, that someone who's a Harag, a Kiddush Shem Shemayim, is in Mechitzas in Gan Eden that we'll never be able to touch. So he doesn't need our Kaddish. There's no reason to say Kaddish on him. But, says the Mechaz Yitzchak, there is another time that's brought down in the Paiskim. And this, <coughs> I believe, comes from a Zayar that says that on the day a person's father was nifter is a day of shvacha mazel. It's a day that a person himself 
has bad mazel, and therefore, as a schos for ourselves, as a person's schos for himself, to prevent anything bad from befalling him on the day of his father's yard site, a person is supposed to say Kaddish. So says the Mechzilchak, if it's the second reason, because we're afraid it's a day of bad mazel, then of course, even on people who are killed in the war, it shouldn't be relevant, and one needs to say Kaddish. And Lemaisi says, and this is a bit of a controversial detail, and, and many, many you know, articles in Sarm have been written about this, it's not so clear that someone who didn't, wasn't killed you know, to, to, to do... He wasn't killed because he stood up and said, I'm going to do mitzvahs no matter what. He wasn't killed because he was a shamer Torah mitzvah. He was killed because genetically he's Jewish. Possibly that person doesn't have the same level of a Kaddish that we're describing and would maybe need a Kaddish also. Maybe at a later date we'll do a, we'll do a shtick on that. It's some interesting fight. If the Harugim from the Holocaust and Harugim from terrorist attacks and etc. have the actual status of a Kaddish. But B'chalayf and the Mechaz continues and he says that the Chayr is reason to establish a Yatzer in Kaddish. He says, but Lemaise, we don't know when it could be. So he gives a few suggestions. And from Saif, he ends up saying that one could choose any day they want. He handles it. It could be Rish Chaydesh. Could it be a day they any after fast? And the Tshuva goes on. But at the bottom, that is the, the, the halachic background of this Shaila. Now, Lemaisa, every person, every Kehila did their own way. For many Kehilas, they decided to celebrate. They, they established the Tainas, the, the yard site and the Kaddish, the day that the trains left or every kila has their own way of going about it, and, and B'chalif and each kila paskin the way they paskin. I did come across an interesting idea. I found a, a speech from the Imre Chaim of Vizhnitz that was given in 1962 in the Vesmedrish of Vizhnitz in Brak, where he says as follows, the tochnit of what they were doing that day was they were writing a Sefer Torah, a Sefer Torah klalili ilu nishmas the haruge shalat, in remembrance of the people who were killed during the Holocaust. Now, what spurred the Sefer In his little drush, it's about a page long, it's in Yiddish, so I'm not even going to try to read it, but the, the, the Emre Chaim says that it was at the time when the German government had just started paying reparations and was giving money to the State of Israel. Said the Emre Chaim, this money is blood money, they want us to forget the people who have no Zecher, the people who have no one remembering them, and it's incumbent on us that, that we should remember people who have no Zecher, and the best way to remember these people who have no zecher, who we don't even know when they died and where they were buried and where they are and what happened to them, is to write a Sefer Torah that has Nitzchias and a Sefer Torah that's going to be carry these people's name and these schos forever. Now, incidentally, the day that the Emre Chaim chose to launch this campaign, the day that they felt was the day to bring this to light, this idea that the people who have no remembrance deserve to be remembered also, is none other than the day of Zion Adar. It's called the Zion Adar of Adar Beis in 1962, which according to many Paiskim is the day that we celebrate Moshe Ben Ezzi when there's two others. It's a great Machlik Paiskim, but some Sefer Paskins like that and others Paskins like that. And when there's two others, the day of Moshe Ben Ezzi is Adar Beis. But on this day, says the Mechayim, on the day of Moshe Ben Ezzi a day when, when Kilu, the first person who was buried without any place to go daven by him, without anybody being able to visit him and mark his yard site, because we don't know where Moshe Ben was buried, is the day to remember all these people for them we don't have a place to go and we don't have a remembrance for them and to mark it with the Sefer Torah. So the element of unknown that exists in the Kur of Moshe Rabbeinu, the element of Moshe Rabbeinu being buried somewhere unknown is, was channeled into this idea for the people who were killed by the Holocaust who we don't know when to mark their yard site or where they are or how to celebrate or how to talk about them Bechal, is on Zayin Adar. But now the, the, this, this idea came even more to fruition in a, in, in a, in a different way in the secular Israeli government and the IDF, and I'll explain how. There's a, I read this in, in Rabbi Gorin's autobiography. It's a fascinating, fascinating story. 
I even have a hard time believing all the details are true, but I'll tell you what he says. Um, he writes as follows. He was the first, Rabbi Goren was the first, before he became chief rabbi of Israel, he was the first chief rabbi of the Tzahal for the army. Now, he writes that in 1948, during the War of Independence, there was a, a terrible, terrible mission that happened when some soldiers went to Egypt. There was a, a troop of soldiers that was based out of Gaza, and they made an attack on this. It, was, it, was, it included an entire platoon of from soldiers, 86 soldiers from a platoon that was based out of Bnei Brak in Tel Aviv, which back then was very from. And these were from soldiers who were based in Gaza. And on the second night of Hanukkah, they were sent out onto a mission to attack an Egyptian town. And uh, it was a rainy, cold night. They left. He says they, they lit candles in the mess hall, and then they went out for the attack. And that was the last anybody heard of them. Not a single man, man on that mission made it back to base. Now, this uh, made a tremendous tumult in Eretz Yisrael, and I'll tell you why. Because some of the soldiers on, in this platoon had a shtickleback history. There was a tzeves of cooks in the IDF, you know, in the beginning of the War of Independence. And at some point, they staged a protest, and they said they refused to cook on Shabbos. They didn't want to have to be forced to cook on Shabbos. Now, Ben-Gurion was infuriated by this, and he transferred several of those cooks, those from cooks who protested, to this unit that was stationed on the, on the border with Gaza, with Egypt, where they were involved in, in heavy battle. And uh, when this platoon of soldiers went missing in the dead of night on the second night of Hanukkah, some of the parents of these soldiers went on to national television in Eretz Yisrael, and they said that obviously, as an act of retribution, because these soldiers protested for Shmir Shabbos in the army, they were transferred to a frontline you know, position, which was cannon fodder, and they were sent out onto a suicide mission in the dead of the night to be killed for protesting. Now this ignited a storm, for obvious reasons, and Ben-Gurion contacted Rabbi Goren and asked him to investigate the story and to try to find the bodies of, of these 86 soldiers who were missing, who were MIA, missing in action. Now, he writes a fascinating story, so it was at a lull, they, they established through international mediaries that he was going to be able to cross into the Egyptian side and try to find the bodies. Now, the person who was his driver on this trip was uh, none other than Lieutenant Gamal Abd al-Nasser, who ends up becoming the president of Egypt and fights many other wars with Israel over the 60s. But at that time, he was a colonel in the army, and he says he met Goran at the no-man's land. He picked him up in the jeep, and Rabbi Goran writes that he was like zigzagging through the no man's land to try to get to the Egyptian side. And Rabbi Goran asked him, what's the, the zigzagging that's going on over here? So he says, listen, this is no man's land. You guys put mines here. We put mines here. I have no idea where they are. The best I can do is zigzag and hope I avoid them. So Rabbi Goran says, I told him that the most direct way to get from one place to another place is to go in a straight line. Any zigzag is just adding travel time to our trip. It's, we're more likely to hit, hit on a landmine. He says, Nasser looked at me and he said, yeah, this might explain our difference of opinion. You guys think like that. We think like this. We don't think alike. So he says he traveled with him and Nasser brought him to a mass grave and he showed him where all the bodies were. He says he wasn't able to establish 86 bodies, but he found, you know, the, the bulk of them and he was able to bring them to Kfur Sisro. Now he did uh, interviews with the Egyptian army to find out about the battle. And it seems what happened is that uh, the soldiers hadn't been aware that reinforcements had just hit there and they were outgunned and it was a rainy night and the Israeli soldiers' with, uh, guns weren't working and they didn't really stand a chance and they all got massacred. So he reported back to Ben-Gurion 
that there's no foul play and these soldiers were not sent as a, as an act of vengeance to die for nothing. And uh, he was able to bring them to Kavri Yisrael and that was very important to him. Now he could, this became one of his main tafkidim, his main jobs in the army throughout the War of Independence was going to battlefields later on and trying to locate the lost bodies of soldiers who were out there who were never picked up. Now, um, so he, he finds, you know, he has chapter after chapter of him finding these bodies and a lot of it involves crazy, crazy hoops to jump through with the different armies that he's meeting and the countries and the no man's land. He even at some point is, is uh, unsure what valley, what ravine to find them in. He makes a geyrul hagra to try to help him. It's a fascinating read. It's just, it's too long to say over in all the details, but it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating story. And that's safe. He gets to a place, there was a battle at Latrun. I believe it's a, it's a famous tank battle in, in the IDF's history. The Battle of Latrun, where they were trying to scale a hill to fight the Jordanians, go up a hill. And uh, it was again a snowy night, and they failed miserably. And 156 soldiers were dead and left on the hillside over there. Now, the Israelis ended up losing that whole area. And it becomes Jordanian territory. Afterwards, when there's a ceasefire, he gets permission to go in. And it's a ganzah it's a to find these bodies. They had been washed down into a ravine off the hill, like all in the mud, and he had to collect them. It's safe. So he comes back with a tremendous amount of bodies. But since they were all washed down the hill, it's a mix between Arabs and Jews. It's hard to know who's who. So he writes over here, he went to the Chazanish, because the din in Shulchan Aruch is that it's Asr Likvar, Rashi Eitzel Tzadik. You're not allowed to bury a Rashi and a Tzadik together. So he says, how could I take a soldier who was Narag al Kiddush Hashem and bury him near uh, an Arab who was fighting him? How could I do that? So he went to the Chazanish, and the Chazanish told him that he should make a T'nai while he's doing the burials. And he should say, anybody who's Jewish, I'm burying over here. And anybody who's not is Ka'afradar. It's just more sand and dust that I'm burying together. So I'm not burying Tzadik Eitzel Rashi. But extensive, extensive. Now, the, the problem that arose is that of these many bodies that he was finding, Lots of them were Bechlau unknown. They had no idea who was even serving in the army. It was such a frantic environment when people were coming. They were literally taking young men off the boats in Haifa and Yafo and wherever they were landing, refugees, and literally dumping them straight into army units that were on the front line. Tank, belt, tank, tank battalions and infantry battalions, just dumping them off. So a lot of these bodies were in Gansan unknown. Nobody knew who they were, what they were, when they were died, who their family is. And... It was a Shver to bury them just as unknown entities. No one will ever know who they are again. So, the, the rabbinate of the IDF came up with a wonderful idea, and this is a holiday that's celebrated in Israel till today. There's a ceremony every year at uh, Har Herzl, where the soldiers are buried, that on the day of Zion Adar, on the day of Moshe Rabbeinu's yard site, they gather together and they make a ceremony. Why? Says Ergoran. In theory, Moshe Rabbeinu was the first MIA. He's the first person who was buried, but we don't know where he's buried. We don't know anything about the details of his kfura. So, yeah, it's a stretch. It's not exactly the same. But this is the same idea that the Mrechaim was expressing, is, is actually an active uh, IDF holiday to, to be maskir, these people who we have no idea who they were, and, but they died fighting, is musker, they do it on Zion Adar, because that's the day of Moshe Rabbeinu, an unknown, an unknown grave for people who were buried with, you know, ignominy, people who were never known. Stama, uh, interesting use, so to speak, of this, of this characteristic of Moshe Rabbeinu's, of Moshe Rabbeinu's Petira. Now, I don't want to go on too long, but there's one more Nakuda that I want to touch. The, the second important Nakuda, and this is maybe a little more famous, 
is that the, the Hever Kadisha arrangement for Moshe Rabbeinu was a little bit unique because we don't have anybody else that HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself is the Hever Kadisha. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Alein is the Hever Kadisha. So because of this, the Yom of Zion Adar in, in many, many kahilas throughout uh, Europe was Nikva as the day of the Hever Kadisha. Now, this is not exclusive to Zion Adar. If you, if you look in the Nitta Gavril and Avelis in the back of Chilik Beis, he, he compiles a somewhat comprehensive list of all different kahilas and what the Yom of the Chavar Kedisha is, and there are plenty of other days, it's not Tafka Zayin Adar, but the overwhelming majority of Kehilas, the Yom of the Chavar Kedisha, to, to do their, their Tfilas and their Sidra, is the day of Zayin Adar. Now, what's, so, so let's talk about why, and let's talk about what's included in this. So now why, is a few different, uh, I guess, in interpretations as to why. So, the, the, the Pashtun reason is, <coughs> is that the, the day that Moshe Rabbeinu died, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu Alein was Isaac in the Gemilas Chasadim of Hever Kadisha, this is the day that shows the, the highest value and the, the privilege, the value, and the Chaymer, I guess, of what the Hever Kadisha is engaged in. And because of that, it's the day to make, to celebrate their work, where they fast, and they daven, and they say special slichas, and a lot of kilos, there's a special suda, maybe we'll talk about some of the details. So, so, so because Hashem, Hashem Himself was Isaac in Hever Kadisha work, like the Gemara Saita says that we showed, so this is a day that the, the Hever Kadisha chooses to celebrate their personal holiday. Now, incidentally, there's another interesante, like reason that's given that people say, is that if you think about it, in every business that a person could run, a good day is a day that's busy, and a bad day is a day that's quiet. Because when it's quiet, it means you're not having any business. A busy day, yeah, it's hard, but that's when business is getting done. They say there's only one, one type of business where a quiet day is good and a busy day is bad. That's if your business is Hever Kadisha. A quiet day, no one dies, that's a good day. A busy day, that's a terrible day. That means there's a lot of burials to have. So the day that Zion Adar is the day that the Hever Kadisha got a break. The Hever Kadisha wasn't busy, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu became the Hever Kadisha that day. So to show that the Malachas HaKadish that they're involved in is a Malacha that they hoped they didn't have to be. It's something they wished was quiet, not noisy. They celebrate on this day of Zion Adar. It's Al-Darach Remez. You know, I don't know if that's really the reason, but it's an interesting reason. But, but in any case, so... The basic surah of the minig is, is that they fast and they say special tefillahs, special slichas that they say on that day. And then at the end of the day, they have a suda that they make. Now I just want to read the, the, the Gesher Achayim in his Sefer Anochaz Avelos. So he brings down a pretty descriptive um, like description of what the minig was in Yerushalayim Al-Kapanim. And uh, that could be something that could give us an idea of what this minig is in many different kilos. He says, The day that the Hever Kadisha does the, the Hever Kadisha holiday is Zayin Adar. The day that Moshe Rabbeinu was Nistalik. Everyone fasts. He says, From the day before, the Beis HaKnesses are Meyochad Lehem. They daven in the Beis HaKnesses, that's Meyochad for them. After Chazar HaShashat, Omer Maslichas HaMeyochadim Liyem Zeh. They say the Slichas that's special for this day, the Kairim Vayichal, they read Vayichal, Gamba Tvila Shachras. Then after the Tvila, Holchum Kol Chavri HaChavri HaKadisha V'Hagabayim V'Rashi HaDegolim L'Beis HaAlman. They go to the Beis HaKvaris, which in, in his time meant Harazesim. Sham Mispal Lim Kfutzois Kfutzois. They daven in small groups, like the Ezek Kvarim, The group chooses a kever. And they daven in small groups. They divide it into three groups. And in the Gesher Chaim, he prints the tefillahs that are said on this day. 
and betvila zem evakshim achaverim gam slicha me amesim. They ask mechila from the mesim. Pen chas v'shalom nikashlu bi hanhagi yishar klapimishu. Maybe they were noyig in a way that wasn't respectful enough, wasn't proper enough to a dead person. Then Achakach he says mefakchin al asham al inyane beisel almen kere nachanas tochikvura. They do some some work related stuff, and then in the afternoon achar tzaharayim in the evening when the tainus is over misasim shuv kol chevre chevre kadisha lebeis hamedr shagadol. They gather once more to the beis haknesses shagadol. Rav gadol meashayachum lechevre kadisha derish lefnei akal, and a big rav from the chevre kadisha speaks in front of them. Bimusser bechlal umeinyana diyama. The chayvah sachever kedisha befrat, general musr, and the chayvah of the chayvah kedisha befrat. The mincha they say vayichal again. They lay in dirshu Hashem b'imotzei. They say aneinu like every time. And be'erev that evening, oisin suda gedolah b'shvul kolah chaverim u'besudas darshim machzikim zehasem. By the suda, they give each other chizik because the chayvah kedisha is a glory. It's a tough job. It's a job that's uh, I guess easy to get burnt out of. So once a year, they have a, a very lofty day in the chayvah kedisha where they celebrate and they gather together. There's a little bit of kinship. A little bit of tainus, a little bit of tefillah, a little bit of bakashas mechila from the mesim, and there's there's many many more minhagim of chaver uh, kadisha that are negay on on zayin adar. But I'm I'm sampling the Yerushalmi version that's described in the Gesher Chaim just because he describes it in detail. And al kapanim, this is another unique facet of Moshe Rabbeinu's yartzeit. Heyos on Moshe Rabbeinu's yartzeit, there was a uniqueness that Hakadosh Baruch Hu was the chaver kadisha. So this was nivchayz of the day. Of of Chaver Kadisha because what more than to be madami yourself to to Hakadosh Baruch Hu's Hakadosh Baruch Hu's Chesed. Now there's 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 more uh, minhagim and in the Suda itself there's many details in minhagim, but uh, I think that's enough for one for one session. Thank you, Zagizan.